1: Hello, friend. Welcome back to Adrenaline. I am your host, Neil Helligers, and I I do hope that you enjoyed our trip down Memory Lane. You can hear me using the capital M and the capital L in that, right? So uh, just remember, there is a season two, so search for Memory Lane wherever you get your podcasts to see where Alex and Cassie go from there, because, you know, um, depending on what choices they make, it could result in completely different season twos. Uh, And yes, I am hinting heavily towards the content of our next show, but first a word from our sponsor, Cool, cool, cool. So you, have you ever wondered about parallel universes? Uh, which I'm referring to, of course, the totally mathematically proven uh, occurrence, quantum occurrence, where uh, a given choice or happenstance can branch off realities into two completely, two or more, two completely different yet completely actual universes. Um, this is a, a a huge favorite topic of mine. You're going to be hearing a lot about this in the next few weeks. Um, so our next show, Overleaper, which is written by Sam Bush, and it is starring Thora Birch, who is awesome. Take this idea and just runs with it. While she's on a covert mission in Afghanistan, Staff Sergeant Audrey Beach is sent through this mysterious door, and she meets, well, she, uh, she meets herself. And that's not a metaphor, she actually meets herself. But that's only the beginning. I'm your host, Neil Helligers, and I welcome you now to Overleaper, Episode 1. One hour ago, Secret Sobieskin Laboratory, Overleaper Dimension.
2: I will die, but not yet. Not before the final act of revenge. Not before the balance sheet for her death is even. Then, and only then, can I leave all this behind. I hate to dwell on what had been, there's only pain there. But when I close my eyes, I still see her body. Lydia! Lydia, no! I'm ready to go through. They say this dimension is the twin of my own. They say there's another one of me over there who isn't strong enough to do what needs doing, who won't hold the people who did this to account. But I will, starting with the President of the United States. Now,
3: number five, it has to be now!
1: Now, Herat Province, Afghanistan, prime dimension.
2: Afghanistan can be beautiful, but not here. There are only two colors in the Herat Province, beige dust and gray concrete. What the hell am I doing here? Staff Sergeant Audrey Beach, here on some bullshit special request that goes so high up, even my commanding officer can't see the top. All I'm told is head to Shindad with this lieutenant who can't keep his mouth shut. Oh, and leave my M4 carbine. My sidearm, too.
1: You okay there, Staff Sergeant Beach? He getting to you?
2: The way he says my name and rank sounds like he's taking me on a rinky-dink tourist drive and not a special assignment. I'm fine.
1: Nothing in this beater works. Electronics went to hell years ago. Shoot, the Sovietskins were probably clearing belligerents from poppy fields around the last time she pulled the station.
2: Too much talking. And too much reverence in the way he says Soviskans for my liking. The windshield's caked with sand.
1: There she is. Shindan Air Base. <laughs> Real dump, huh?
2: Just keep your hands on the wheel, I wanna say. Instead, I've seen worse.
1: Yeah, I bet. (laughs) You nervous?
2: Never been in any trouble I couldn't sort. You know, your overconfidence might get you in trouble one day. Is that so? If it weren't for my confidence, I'd probably be pulling pints or spinning milkshakes in some Montana diner. Welcome
1: to Shendad. Your purpose here today? Yeah, I'm taking this one on a one way up north from Air Force Special Operations Command. Name of the authorizing officer? Classified. Are you on the list? She is. Staff Sergeant Audrey Beach. Okay.
3: Hmm. Oh.
1: Is
2: that a CCT patch? I'm a member of the 24th Special Tactics Squadron, an Air Force combat controller. Besides my daughter Lydia, It's my single greatest pride.
1: Who are you embedded with? SEALs? Can't tell ya. Delta Force.
2: (sighs) My detachment is a black ops unit, plausible deniability, behind the fence. Need to know. And no one here needs to know. Can we go? Oh, um, you're on the list.
3: Give them hell, Staff Sergeant.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. We roll past a razor-wired fence toward a corrugated building. A C-130 Hercules transport aircraft taxis towards us. Is that ours? (laughs) Not a chance.
1: No runways where you're going. That Blackhawk's your chariot.
2: I thought you didn't know where it is I'm off to.
1: The mountain's up north, that's all I got. They'll tell you everything when you're aboard the chopper.
2: The truck shakes to a stop near the terminal. His tooth sparkles as he grins. His chorizo fingers wave goodbye. Watch yourself, Sergeant. Thanks for the ride, sir. Ugh. The heat is overbearing. But sad to say, I'm used to it. Nothing good has come from my time in Afghanistan. Except for my marriage ending, I suppose. Staff Sergeant Beach? That's me. Jeez, do I have to pay extra for the pat-down? Please hand over any weapons or ammo and place anything fragile, liquid, or perishable onto the table. What's with the Titan security?
3: Well, you know... Recent terrorism.
2: Like the scientist that got killed in Philly?
3: Yes, Sergeant. Do
2: you have any explosives, weapons, comms devices, anything like that? Comms devices? Yeah. Cell phone, computer. Anything that picks up a signal. All I've got is my radio. I left everything with any kick back in an Ardara. You gotta leave it here, ma'am. Orders are you board without comms
1: of any kind.
2: Whose orders? Sergeant
1: you gonna give up the
2: radio, or are we gonna have to run this up the flagpole? <sighs> he doesn't understand, of course. With my radio, I'm respected, valued. I call in the airstrikes. Any window licker can fire a suppressed M4, but when I get on the horn with a B-52 bomber, or an F-15 on a close air support run, there's no target I can't level. Give it up, Sergeant.
3: <laughs> Thanks.
2: I beeline for the helicopter, feeling naked. I don't even know where the orders are coming from, and whoever he is, he's got a lot to answer for. A face pokes out.
3: Staff Sergeant Audrey Beach, get inside. Time is short.
2: I've never met this guy, but I'd recognize him anywhere. His bespectacled face covers our training pamphlets. Colonel Spencer Chase. What's he doing here?
3: Cleared for takeoff. Uh, roger that. On our way. How far north have you been?
2: We did an op against the Salafi group. You probably read about it in the field report. Tell me anyway. This is all classified, but I'm talking to Colonel Spencer Chase, commander of the 5th Special Forces Group. Full bird. The boss of my boss's boss. We might have kissed the 37th parallel when we were bagging Ib Munsa up in the Hindu Kush. Was that Delta Force? I've never been attached to any other team. He should know this. The guy oversees five battalions. Chase bears exactly no resemblance to any special ops guy I've ever met.
3: Fine, fine. You're wondering where we're headed. We're going all the way up. Do you know Shah?
2: Never been, sir.
3: You haven't missed much. Mountains, snow. It's the most northern province of Afghanistan.
2: Sir, Why am I here? Hmm.
3: You're the first woman ever embedded with Delta Force, aren't you? And still just a Staff Sergeant. Your file says you might have been promoted to Junior Officer Rank 2 deployments back. You were in the shoot. If you say so. But you never made the jump to Officer. Why? You've read my file. I wanna hear it from you.
2: What I want to tell him is I don't like Officers. I don't want to be one, never have. They're mostly politicians, incompetents. Or both. Not cut out for it, I suppose. He pushes his tortoiseshell glasses slowly up the bridge of his nose.
3: No, I doubt that. You're the model of a combat controller. Well, except physically, I suppose.
2: I might not bench as much as the men on my team, but I can bench a hell of a lot more than you, sir. Now, why am I here?
3: We wanted an operator on the smaller side. One who could fit into tight spaces and get out of tight situations. You're the obvious choice.
2: You need a woman for this mission. What am I doing, squeezing into a hole? Staff Sergeant
3: Audrey Eleanor Beach. Born in Missoula, Montana. Thirty-two years old. Enlisted as an airman basic at eighteen. Combat control, selection course at twenty-two. And one of only 5% to graduate. Only a woman ever to do so. Top marks in two years of operator training. And after we set you into a special tactics squadron, you piled up more redacted files than I've ever seen, apart from the CIA. Sir, what do you need me to do? Quite simply, we need you to go through a door. A door? To where? We don't know. You'll be the first to go through. At 0, 0700 hours yesterday, a Marine squadron left their Hujimi Bala combat outpost on patrol. One of their teams got lost in the mountains. They ran across something we've never seen before. The Marines wanted to breach it, but couldn't. The analysts in Langley don't know what it is. The Pentagon has no record. And our illegals in the Sovaskan compound? Never heard of it. But what is it? That's just the problem. We don't know. It's just a door, a red metal door, carved into the side of a mountain. The thing is 400 clicks from the Sovaskan border. Sovascon alphabet across the face, so we can guess who built it. Some alloy we've never seen, locked tight. TNT won't rattle it, and we're afraid to go stronger. But here's the thing. We got the Oviscon translated, and it's going to unlock.
2: All on its own. What do you mean it's going to unlock?
3: Exactly like I said. In a matter of hours, according to the markings, there's a schedule. Next time she opens is at 1600 hours, and we want to send someone in. That someone is you.
2: Me. Colonel Chase checks his watch. A silver Vostok amphibia. A Saviskan favorite. Hmm.
3: A landing site coming up. Two hours until the door opens. We'll have to hurry.
2: Do we know the time window? We know
3: what I told you, Staff Sergeant.
2: Below, the slopes are rocky and rugged, littered with deadfall. The Black Hawk yaws toward a patch of flatland.
3: Beach? I'll give you an additional briefing on site. It's up the side of a mountain the locals call Safed Quiz. We're on foot? Just the last kilometer. But it's steep. We'll be lucky to make it in two hours.
2: <laughs> He's starting to remind me of my ex-husband. That's Tajikistan, to the north.
3: Until the block collapsed, it was the Tajik Socialist Republic.
2: You're quite the historian.
3: When it comes to the service guns. I suppose I am. Know your adversaries and all that.
2: The Blackhawk ascends up the side of a ridge. Starboard, a narrow valley, sparsely forested. Port, a sharp peak.
3: I'm sure you know the Hindu Kush is a chain of the Himalayas. And you might also know half of this country is a mile or more above sea level
2: i spent six years in the mountains just south of here. If they gave out medals for mansplaining, he'd need another jacket.
3: Now, you probably don't know that the Pashtuns...
1: Get ready for some turbulence.
2: Earthquake. Looks like a minor one. Big and small, they're a regular enough occurrence. We zero in on a slender plateau at the edge of this snow line.
0: Shoppers get it.
1: On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: For a moment, I think we're alone on this mountain. Then I see motion under a recess of rock. It's an olive pup tent staked into the Scrabble soil. Two men emerge, Marines. Anywhere in the world, you can recognize a Marine, even out of uniform. They just have that fighter's swagger. The difference between these guys and Delta is that you send in Marines when you want to take everyone out. You send in Delta when you just want to take out one. They salute as we get out of the chopper. At ease, boys.
3: I appreciate your waiting for us. Sir, yes sir.
2: Could be twins. Same angle on their M16s, same thousand-click stare. One Marine has thick black hair, close-cropped, while the other seems to be losing his in blonde chunks, leaving bare patches. I wonder if he's suffering from altitude sickness or...
3: This is Staff Sergeant Audrey Beach. Beach, these gentlemen are Kilo Company, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, Lance Corporals Berto Valdo and Chris Hicks.
2: i give them a salute and a smile, which is something I don't usually do. And I get no reaction. Come on, fellas, cut the crap. We'll be carbo-loading on Coronas in a few hours after this is all over. No beers for us, ma'am.
3: Let's get going. I'll be ready for a good climb.
2: Well, these guys aren't gonna be any fun. The climb's a piece of cake, though. Maybe these jarheads could beat me up a mountain. The Colonel, on the other hand, hasn't been on this side of a desk in a long time. After 10 minutes, he's already behind.
3: You guys don't need to wait for
1: me. (sighs) Sir, we don't leave a man behind.
2: The Marines boot along the goat trail. I note the way their heads stay on the swivel. Everyone has been a little more on edge these past couple of days, ever since the terrorist attack in Philadelphia. 30 scientists killed, double that in total casualties. The Marines are in full battle rattle, and here I am with not so much as a sharp stick. Colonel, how about we get me a service weapon? He rubs at his eyes, which I notice for the first time are dark from lack of sleep.
3: Wish I could help, Beach, but we're doing this as stripped down as possible. No rifle. That comes from way up the pyramid.
2: Seriously? I don't get a weapon? How about a radio? Uh, fine. We'll get your radio.
3: If you get into real trouble, we'll get these assault troopers to kick in after you.
2: Not a good idea, sir. Uh, I don't need anyone coming in behind me. If anything, they should be going in first.
3: You aren't interested in following orders?
2: My ex, Peter, once called me irascible and ill-tempered. He hoped it would put me in my place. And in a way, it did. My place was free of him. Sir, it's not a good idea to send me through some so Viskin hole in the damn mountain, <laughs> without a way to defend myself.
3: You're gonna find yourself with
2: an Article 15, Sergeant. Sir, you can drag me in front of a court-martial. But, reasonably, I think any panel of 13 officers would take my side.
3: You win, you'll get a service weapon. Something appropriate for a confined space. I'll see to it. Just a little farther, Colonel.
2: Soon we find ourselves on a shelf not much bigger than a back porch. Hicks and Valdo wander off to check the stakes in their two tents. And that's when I see it. The door. It's smaller than I'd expected, about four feet tall. But not because anyone was trying to hide it. The door is a dark sangria red, all metal, gleaming in the lowering sunlight. Only a thin metallic frame separates the door from the mountain, there's no peeling paint or any other indication the door's been touched. Amazing. i huh. A step closer without realizing.
3: Here you are, Sergeant. Your service weapon.
2: He holds out a Sig Sauer M17 tucked into a shoulder holster and a UHF dual band radio.
3: You know how to use this?
2: Yes, sir.
3: Fantastic. Because you've only got two minutes before you go in.
2: It's all happening so fast. (laughs) I move toward the door. Hicks and Valdo emerge from their tents. Is that worry in their frowns?
3: Hey, one more thing. A
2: hazmat suit? What's the deal? We're doing a jerk job on E.T.?
3: Just put it on, Sergeant. There isn't time.
2: (sighs) Fine. But I swear to God, there better not be aliens in there. V-skins? No problem. But if some Mars man gets handy, I'll pump him so full of lead, NASA won't know if they're dissecting a space invader or a golden retriever.
3: How do I look? Take this seriously, Beach.
2: By my time, ten seconds. There aren't more than six steps between me and the entrance. Now! I take a breath, then enter. Inside, it's pitch black. Just one long unlit corridor stretching into the bowels of Suffred Quares. I pull my sidearm from its holster. There's a weapon-mounted flashlight on the Sig Sauer. I tap it on, sending 600 lumens of white light down the mine shaft. What the hell? No one said anything about getting shut in here. The hazmat suit begins to crinkle against my skin, tightening. My eardrums pop, I take another step. The walls aren't dirt, as I'd expected. They're a metal matrix composite, something like tank armor, but rougher, more matte. Moving in. Chase? Colonel Chase, you copy? Valdo, Hicks, you guys hearing me? The commander of 5th Special Forces turned his radio off on me. Now, I'm sure of it, and now I'm pissed. And though I hate to admit it, a little scared. I mean, I went through. Mission accomplished. I didn't sign up for anything more, and I'm sure as hell not staying. Not after losing contact with the outside world. Colonel, open it up. I wonder if they can even hear me. Probably not, the door feels thick. Maybe four or five inches and there's no knob or handle. No way out. Well, damn. I send the LED beam of my Sig sour back down the passage. I've gotta get myself together. Kick away the fear. Fear's only gonna trip me up, get me killed. 10 feet in, I get a tickle in my nose. Even through my hazmat suit, I can smell ammonia. The farther in, the stronger it becomes, now with potpourri of sweat and shit. 30 feet in, the corridor curves right. I follow the bend and find myself in an open space, low ceiling. As far as I can tell, there's only one thing in this room. A jail cell. A light appears from a section of flat metal, but now a vertical white line cuts through it, bright enough to make me shy back and shield my eyes with my radio hand, bringing my Sig sour up with the other. Don't shoot. A woman's voice. A voice so familiar I wonder who this is and how I know her. She steps toward me through the open shaft of sun. I blink, not believing what I'm seeing. It's a figure in a hazmat suit, identical to mine. She's holding a radio, but no weapon. See? Unarmed. Her arms are up in surrender, but she's moving towards me. My sidearm points squarely at her sternum. Hold it right there. (laughs) You won't do it. You can't. She has the kind of confidence you only see in the insane or the well-trained. The radio in her hand is a MaCom handset, identical to my own. Not another step! She steps closer, and my blood ices over. I see her face through the clear plastic window. Coffee hair, knotted and unkempt, robin egg eyes dilated by the flashlight, two big nose slightly upturned, and a penetrating stare that tells me she knows all my secrets. It's not her face. It's my face. I tighten my grip on my weapon and squeeze the trigger. (laughs) No. The colonel sent me in with a spin mag. My doppelganger grins. Sorry. And she hits me with an open palm strike to my face.
1: Okay, so I think you can tell that this is a this is a pretty big show. There is a immersive sound design that you heard. There is an original soundtrack. There's over twenty actors on it, and I hope you listen to that list because there's a ton of talent in there, as well as in direction and production. Uh, and uh, not to mention the great job that Thora Birch does. And and what she what she has to do there in the cave is something that um, and I think I feel like every narrator or voice actor has to do at least once, maybe twice in their career, which is to play a scene essentially with yourself and make it work, make it clear to you guys. I've had to do it in the context of a time travel book. And actually, if you didn't know, time travel is yet another manifestation of parallel universes. So anyway, this is next level podcasting. So please be sure to come back next time to see how things go down. Will Audrey escape from that cave hallway? Will her doppelganger take over her life? Do those hazmat suits fit the same on both of them? Is it like, why does yours fit more snugly than mine? Well, I guess I work out more. Well, I guess my life is more desperate than yours, isn't it? Anyway, you're, uh, you're just going to have to join me next time to find out. So, I'm Neil Helligers, this is Adrenaline, and I will see you next time.
0: You're listening to Adrenaline Overleaper. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Overleaper is a Realm original production. Created and written by Sam Bouche. Produced by Diana M. Foe, Fred Greenhalge, and Haley Wagreich. Additional story production by Nicole Otto and Marco Palmieri, directed by Fred Greenhalgh, executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman, starring Thora Birch, Yulisse Arroyo, Jordan Batiste, Peter Burkrot, Janet Boris, Gilbert Glenn Brown, Hector Luis Bustamante, Chris Cleveland, Ryan Coyle, Stephanie Diaz, Richard Doyle, Kate Elefante, Mark Engelhart. Maricilda Garcia, Anthony Grant, John Capellos, Inte Kim, Chuck Caruklus, Richard McMoneagle, Alex Ruiz, Lorenzo Villanueva, Cecily Williams, and Michael Wallner. Sound design and mixing by Rory O'Shea. Original score and composition by Yeroen Kraman. Production manager, Alexis Latchaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Ossidolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Ossidolahi and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.